today's Forge Leadership podcast, the topic is vulnerability and leadership. Simon Barrington, founder and director of Forge Leadership, is joined by Sim Dendy, an experienced church leader who talks about his own journey of finding that vulnerability is strength, not weakness. Today on the Forge Leadership podcast, we're discussing the issue of vulnerability in a leader and whether that is a matter of, of weakness or strength. Um, to discuss that, I'm joined by Sim Dendy. Uh, Sim is a senior leader of Freedom Church, a growing and active church in Romsey on the south coast of the United Kingdom. Sim's also in senior leadership team of the Ground Level Network and is on the leadership team of Spring Harvest, where he heads up the leadership program and is a keen student of what makes a great leader. So, Sim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Simon. It's good to be with you. Yeah, it's great to have you with us uh, today. Sim, tell me a little about your leadership journey and how you ended up being a, a church leader. Yeah, of course. I, I guess I'm, I'm almost... I don't want to admit it, but the truth is one of the reasons I'm involved with church leadership is, is my dad. Um, my dad was a church pastor, and um, growing up, the last thing you ever want to be is what your father is. And, and Yeah, exactly. And then you get older in life, you realize how good your parents are, but you missed a bit of a trick sometimes to realize that at the time. But yeah, looking back, absolutely. My dad was a church leader, and I, I was in, both impressed and inspired by him and the way he operated but I guess ultimately as well, for me, becoming a church leader was about calling. I really felt a very clear sense of calling. At a young age, I was about 13, I remember being very much called to, to take a leadership role within the church. And I, and I just knew that was, a, that was something I had to do. I had to step into it at some point. I was about 23 when I started taking, well, probably no, I was more like 19 when I took on some leadership responsibility. But 23, I took on more senior leadership responsibility. And I guess the other thing is, is I was given the opportunity, people around me, I look back, I think, would I give a 19-year-old yeah. opportunity to lead something? Yeah. People did, and I'm very grateful to those people who gave me a chance to, I'm sure, make lots of mistakes on their watch. It's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, my own leadership journey, people took risks on me that, that I think, oh, would, would I take that risk now? Yeah, and yet actually they were, they were formative times. Can you think of a specific example where someone took a, a risk with you where you had to really step out into a, a deep area of <laughs> responsibility that you felt, felt ill-equipped from? Well, what's beautiful is when you're younger, I don't think you have the same, or well, I definitely didn't have the same fear. Mm -hmm. So I was either 19 or 20, and I was asked to lead an overseas mission team to go to North Portugal to work in a, an orphanage there. And there was a team of 20 people Almost all of them were older than me, and I'd been asked to lead this team. To be honest, looking back, I'm like going, seriously, who asked a 20-year-old, you know, to go to another country with some people who'd never been overseas before, and I'm meant to lead them and pastor them? I mean, it was crazy. I mean, what was lovely, one of the guys who came on the team was one of our church eldership team, and I, I know now he was there to keep an eye on me. But he, And he was very supportive, but very much it was my gig, my leadership, and they were looking to me. And, and I think there was a lovely lack of fear. There was a few times I'm looking back now going, I didn't have the same understanding of the risks involved of letting a teenager or early 20s have a go with something. And that's probably one of the great things that why we should release young people, because that's what happens. And I mean, do you find that easy to do in your own leadership in terms of letting young people free to become the leaders that, that God is calling them to be? That's 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 a really good question. I've just been thinking that exactly this thing this week. I, th I think I do, but I think I could always do better. So I've got people on my leadership team in their twenties, but I'm now asking the question: Who are the people in their teenage years 
when are we going to give them a chance to do something? And and let's never and at the same time you don't want to overlook those who are older and just assume that therefore someone's of a certain age they have nothing to offer. And so in this desire to hand over and to build up new leadership, we don't want to overlook those who maybe you know that whole third age conversation. People, we've got people retirees in our church. You've got so much energy, so much to offer. Um, it isn't a matter of suddenly just teenagers. What about those who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s? You've got so much to offer as well. Do you think it's possible then to start leading at any age? Absol- absolutely. In some ways, there's, well, there's some advantages both. As I said just now, being a teenager or a young person, there's a lack of fear. Being an older person, there's so much wisdom to offer, so much wisdom. And I think, yes, there is an opportunity for leadership. I think it does come in seasons. I think for many people, when they're of a certain age involved with young families, it'd be very hard to take leadership. I, I believe that leadership requires energy. And if, if you are low okay. on energy, you know, it's really hard to lead. If you're ill or you're, you're, you're frustrated by challenges of life, it's hard to lead. Mm. I think you need to tap into leadership when people have energy. And, and sometimes people, I've watched people who've retired from a job that maybe they haven't always enjoyed. And suddenly they've got this new energy because they've got like this freedom they didn't have before. So, so yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, the story of Caleb in the Bible, you know, I'll take the high places, he said. You know, he's 80 years old. And he goes, you know, give me, give me the tough jobs because I'm up for this. Fantastic. So as well as energy, um, what do you look for in someone who you're looking to encourage into a leadership role, be they, be they 80 or 18? You know, uh, apart from energy, what, what else do you look for? I'm always looking for what do people do when no one else is looking I'm always, I'm like a ninja leader. I, I'm like spy on people. I do, honestly, I'm terrible. I'm always glancing at, because, you know, you, the people who, sometimes people t- come up and see me and they say, oh, I want to be doing this in, you know, in my context, which be in the church. I want to be doing this role or that activity. And I'm thinking, but I've never seen you participate in anything to do with it. Yeah. So I, I'm always looking for who are the people who are doing something, who mm. are either opening their homes up or investing in other people's lives or, you know, giving financially or just get engaged in some respect I guess it's got to go beyond the talking so I'm always looking for the action to go with that because if you've got momentum on your side as a leader you can take people places mm. trying to get people started can be hard work mm. and do you think um, that elder back on that mission trip saw that in you originally I mean you know what, what do they think what do you what do you think that people saw in you when you were a young 19 year old <laughs> wow um, that's that's yeah, fascinating. I've I've never asked myself that question. What do people see in me at that age? I guess probably a lot of energy and enthusiasm, a lot of naivety that, that was probably quite probably quite annoying to some and quite endearing to others. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think I, I I have and still have a desire to do everything with a big smile on my face. And okay. um, I think that's got me out of a lot of trouble in the past. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I think that maybe that's just just general enthusiasm. You know, you, you don't want people on your leadership who are going to you know be hard work. You want people who are going to take ideas and turn them into a reality. And people love to follow someone who's got the get up and go, got a bit of energy, got a bit of passion. You know, passion is a powerful word. I'd be looking for leads with passion, and you know, people who attract others. You know, I always look for people who are leading who say, let's go out for a meal and five or six go, yeah, let's join you. Or let's go and do this game of football. And again, four or five, six people join them. I'm looking for those people who are already leading. Maybe they don't even realize they're leaders, but they're already making. um, And maybe I was already leading at a young age, but I probably didn't see it for myself. One of the things I talk a lot about is um, the character of a leader. Um, 
how do you think your character developed that inner life of a leader and how important do you think that is well, I mean, character is essential. I mean, there's some great quotes. I think what's the one? The, the best two traits a leader can have is character and strategy. And if you can't have, if you can't have both, then make sure you've got character. And I think is is that kind of character is absolutely essential. You know, and I, I'm still developing my character. I'm still learning so much. I mean, if my wife was on this program, she would tell you how much she's still trying to train me in. Um, but can I just say, <laughs> developing character is is a slow process. Um, you you know you okay. do not get character overnight. Um, you, you might have some character attributes that are really good, but to get a fully rounded human character takes a long time. Uh, I think, and every life experience helps shape that in you, or maybe knocks it out of you, depending upon your viewpoint. I mean, you know, getting married, you know, having to be less selfish and having to share things with other people. That creates character. Um, having children and having to take my part in their responsibility and leading my children well requires good character. Um, you know, every experience, well, we don't learn, I've discovered this, we don't learn through experience, but we do learn through assessed experience. You know, when we look back and take notes and, you know, ask people to question what we've just done, we learn through those experiences. That's where character comes in. Taking those knockbacks when someone says, no, you can't do that, or no, you're not the best person to do that particular job, that's when character develops. We rarely develop character when someone says, you're amazing, you're brilliant, here, have this job, have this activity, have this responsibility. We very rarely learn in those good times. We definitely learn in those harder times. Yeah, Romans 5.4 says, doesn't it, uh, not only that, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance character and character hope so there was something that um, the writer of the romans there really understood wasn't there about actually it's only through the hard times it's only through the suffering it's only through the perseverance that character comes but when that character comes and there's great hope that a leader is able to bring as well have you experienced that in your own life yes i mean you know again it repeats in probably in james one um, which i always find quite helpful where it talks about perseverance must finish its work so we become pure and complete. And I guess for me, I'm in that persevering stage where, where I'm, 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 I'm always trying to improve my character and it feels like I'm going you know, two steps forward, one step back, but I kind of have to think to myself, I am overall, the net result is I am moving forwards. Um, so I have to keep, you know, when you're having a bad moment, you think, oh, why did I say that? Why did I do that? I think actually, I'm doing better today than I was doing. I'm not doing as well as I'd like to be doing and that's okay. And probably the day I get to the point I think I've got it all sussed and I'm my character is fully developed. I think that's a really dangerous place to be in. So I, I remember I had the privilege of meeting the Archbishop Justin Welby earlier this year, and he made this comment to me. It's already it really resonates. He said, "I never want to stop learning as a leader," and I guess there's some of that. You know, somebody who's in charge of whatever it is. I think 70 million people in the Anglican Church, responsible for so many you know people and decisions that are being made can say, I want to keep learning. I'm thinking, absolutely. The day I stop learning to shape my character is the day I don't want to be a leader anymore because I'll be no use to those who are following. Now, when people think about learning, they think about maybe reading a book or going on a course or you know something formal mm. like that. But I think you're, think, 
talking about something different, aren't you? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I do a lot of uh, leadership training sessions, uh, both in the world, in businesses, and in, in within the church. And I almost always finish off my sessions with the same kind of statement, which is, "This is all helpful. All this stuff we've learned, and all this stuff I've shown you on a PowerPoint screen or handouts I've given." But ultimately, leadership is all about doing, and we have to go out and lead. There has to be some outcome to our conversation. And the way we learn and get shaped both in our character and our activity and our skills is by doing, is by actually going, right, here's a project, here's an activity, here's a group of people. I'm going to lead them. I'm going to lead this project to fruition and to fulfillment. Um, Sitting in a room or reading a book, I mean, reading books are, you know, they say, you know, leaders are readers. I think that's true, but I don't, haven't met a leader yet who just reads and does nothing else. You have to put the book down at some point and go, right, let me, let me, <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Let me activate what I've just learned. Is, you know, if yeah. we're going to actually become yeah. a something, we've got to actually put that into practice. Otherwise, it's just, we're wasting time sitting around reading books. And so it has to become a reality. And that's how we learn. We learn in the, in the, in the human world. We learn face-to-face we learn as we look at people in the eyes when we've we've made a mistake and we have to apologize that's when we learn now i'm a great fan and encourage leaders that i work with to uh, be reflective on their action to not only do but to have uh, mechanisms that work for them that give them feedback and uh, enable them to ask the difficult questions and and open up their lives to other people speaking into them. Do you have any habits in that area? Any things that work well for you in that area, or maybe you've seen that work well for other people? Personally, I, I find a routine works for a season and I have to change it up. Otherwise, it becomes slightly meaningless if I'm not careful. I'm, I'm just the way I'm wired that if I do routine for too long, it just becomes a bit meaner. So I have to make sure I'm creating healthy habits, but also habits that I can change every uh, few months that I can just make sure it stays fresh. So then there will be different people who speak into my life for different seasons. And then I think, actually, I feel like I've, I've kind of sucked them dry and they probably look like they've had enough of me. And I, <laughs> and I go, think, right, let me find someone else who, who brings a... Di- and they will help me learn different things. And so, yeah, very much that iron sharpening's iron, as Proverbs tells us, is so important. So spending time with people is really important. And not just... I found that I've, I've also learned as I've, you know... It, we talk about mentoring. I don't think it's always helpful because therefore it assumes that there's a senior person and a junior person. I think in all the interactions I've had with both people who are maybe new to leadership and people who have been many, many more years experienced than I, I think I always gain out of all those conversations. There's always something to learn from someone else. Mm. And, I, and I make it a bit of a challenge to myself whenever I meet a new person or spend time with somebody what am I going to learn from them, gain from them, experience from them that I wouldn't have done otherwise? And so I, I make it a habit that I just try and get into people's lives and I probably annoy people. And, you know, I do this thing where I, I see it or hear from a leader who's just a brilliant leader, brilliant communicator or brilliant author or something. And I kind of hound them to they agree to have a coffee with me. Um, you know, I've done this for you, Simon, as well. As we, you know, we have a coffee, go, please can I just find out a bit more about who you are? and how you operate, and, and so I'm always trying to look for ways of doing that. Um, and then regarding the reflection piece, um, I am my own worst critic. Um, I, I, after after I, the typical thing will be I've done a, a, a session, a training session, teaching session, or spoken, um, again in my context, church, I would I'd preach, 
And, and I, before anyone said anything, I've already created in my head, even while I'm speaking, things I wish I hadn't said, things didn't come over so well. And, and sometimes that has to be balanced with other people's inputs, because if it's just left to me listening to my own podcast, I would never let myself preach again, because I'll never match up to my own bar of expectation. Yeah. And so I need other people who can say to me, you know, yeah, there were some things that weren't great, but actually there was lots of things that were really good. Otherwise, you can end up, you can always end up just living life frustrated mm. as a leader. You can always, because leadership is all about changing things and making things better and improving things. And if you're not careful, you just live life frustrated because nothing's ever good enough. Every event, every activity, every conversation, every meeting is never quite what you hope to achieve. And, and, and my concerns for younger leaders especially is don't live life frustrated. You become naggy. And annoying, uh, which I feel like I'm sounding a bit naggy now. <laughs> Don't get frustrated. It's really frustrating. <laughs> but that replay button in our head is is can be the worst thing, can't it? It can torment leaders, and I know I've had that myself. You know, I've been away preaching somewhere, and I've got a three hour drive home, and I'm just replaying the whole thing in my head, thinking, "What made me think that that was okay to say that?" You know, and and uh, so you get around that by inviting other people to speak into your life is that right inviting comments inviting other people to help shape you yeah and i also for me scripture is really important as well you know we're talking you know in ephesians 6 about the shield of faith and to build up faith you need to get into the word of god and to and and, and i often what i will do is i'll literally i'll speak to myself in a mirror if i'm driving i wouldn't do that um but i would just i would just refer to myself you know and, and I'll say things that, that I just know are true. Mm. You know, he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. And when I hear those little, those, those replay buttons often are, are historical events that have become things that kind of just tap you on the shoulder. Say, Remember that time you made that mistake or you did that or you said that mm. foolish thing? Mm. And you, you keep replaying those little stories and we have to go, actually, there's a different story mm. that I'm choosing to believe. You know, I did say something I shouldn't have said. I did make a mistake. But I'm choosing to believe in a God who loves me regardless of what I've done or not done. And I also believe that, that God can, you know, help delete and edit the things I shouldn't have said from people's minds if it wasn't of use to them. Mm. And so I just, yeah, I, I, I speak to myself. I build my faith up when I hear those little nagging voices. And I just pray that God will take my words. And I guess over the years, the thing that's fascinated me most is I will spend hours preparing a message and I'll preach my heart out and I try and give my all every time I speak. But often the thing that will, will resonate with certain people, they'll come up and they'll say to me or they'll email me sometimes months later on, the thing that will resonate will be something I've never prepared, I hadn't planned, it'll be an off-the-cuff mark, that just the words, the language, the statements, something I said that just hit them home. And I'm, and I'm so grateful to God that he can take my poor effort and make it really valuable to those listening. Mm. Now, one of the things uh, you and I have talked about over coffee um, when we've met is, is just the whole um, role that vulnerability plays in the life of a, a leader. Tell me about that and, and your own journey with building teams and building environments in which other people will flourish and, and how you handle um, your own vulnerability in that context. Yeah, I think for me, vulnerability has been more of a recent conversation. I'm 43 years old, um, and we talked about when I was a leader much younger. I think with younger leaders, you get a wonderful confidence, which is inspiring. 
borderline arrogance, which is still quite inspiring uh, because we kind of, as we get older, you wish you still had some of that. And, and I guess then you take a few of those knocks we talked about earlier in the program. And um, I guess there comes a point you have to be more honest with yourself and honest with others. And I got to the point probably in my early to mid 30s where I was just trying to be everyone's hero. I was trying to be super pastor. I was trying to be the answer to everyone's needs. I was trying to be the best husband by doing everything my wife wanted her to do. I was trying to be the best dad by all my kids' requests were like, yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll be there. Yes, I'll take you there. And then for the church, sometimes which can be like having a massive family, making requests of me and I'm just going, yeah, we'll, we'll make this brilliant. We'll do that. Yes, if you want that resource, of course. And I had to come to a point where I had to realize that I wasn't everyone's answer. I couldn't be their answer, that I wasn't even that good. And um, that I I had a role, I I was part of the answer to the needs around me, but I wasn't the whole answer. And I think that became a really useful moment for me. Um, You know, I I remember reading a book called The Art of Possibility by, um, uh, I can't remember his last name now, Benjamin, I remember it, it'll come to me, um, who was the, the conductor of the Boston Philharmonic Orchestra. And he said it took him years to realize that as a, as a conductor, he didn't play an instrument. And I thought that was a powerful statement, that it took him years to realise that he thought the orchestra were playing for him, but actually he was there to coordinate them, and he didn't make a single sound towards their noise. And I guess for me as a leader, realising that I needed other people, that I wasn't that good, that I needed and required others, that in a room of leaders, everyone thinks they can do a better job than you can. That's why they're leaders. And, and I love this bit as well. <laughs> when you reveal your weaknesses to your leadership teams or staff teams or church communities or whatever your context might be, whenever you reveal your weakness, it's never a surprise to anybody. No one's surprised because they already know. This is the brilliant thing, isn't it? We think we're hiding. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, we call them blind spots. They're only our blind spots. <laughs> Everyone else, they're like <laughs> glaring targets. So when we kind of announce one day, we've just discovered we've got a weakness. Everyone's like, seriously, did it seriously take this long to realize? Um, but when we, when we articulate our weaknesses, what it does is it opens a door of, of access that wasn't there before, that suddenly people are relieving, oh, now we can have the conversation that we didn't dare have before because you've admitted to something yeah. that we thought you couldn't see. So, so yes. Yeah, so, for me, vulnerability mm. is, is a much more recent thing, and I'm, and I probably didn't realise the power of vulnerability before. I just thought you had to be like mm. a superhero and have the answers. And um, mm. it's vulnerability is mm. very powerful. And probably Jesus was the ultimate uh, vulnerable leader, who who, who really did, yeah. um, you know, bow the knee to his his followers. Mm. Well, one of my um, favorite authors at the moment is Brenny Brown, and I, I know you and I have talked about um, yeah. her research into vulnerability, where she talks about um, vulnerability not being weakness, but actually you yes. need daring and you need courage to be vulnerable, and actually it's what stops the level of connection that God actually wants for us with other people is when we pretend that other people can't see our blind spots and we pretend to be someone else that 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 we're not um what what do you see happening in the people around you as you become more vulnerable and you know what how do the dynamics change and what what positive results have you seen absolutely and to be honest i've had this 
backfire sometimes as well. It doesn't. It doesn't always work. I, I've discovered that there are. Let me think. I'll say this, but there are those who are, who are more more your classic followers. They're just looking for direction, advice, you know, vision. And when you when you are honest with maybe a large crowd of people in that way, they could be a little bit shocked sometimes, and actually a bit disappointed. Mm. You know, I yeah. want my leader perfect. I want them, yeah. you know, to be to be superhuman like we've just talked about. I don't really want to know about their flaws. And I think you know, even like we see in politics, you know, when the the, the prime ministers or presidents and they, we we see their their flaws, people are a little bit like disconcerted. They want their leaders to be someone who can go somewhere they want to go. And so I've, I've someone's had a bit of a backfire there, mm. where people are a little bit, I don't know, not not too keen on me being too vulnerable. Where, but in leadership teams mm. or with staff members or people you are working alongside, yeah. I think when you are vulnerable, it it connects yes. hearts like never before. It, it galvanizes. It's it's mm. like, you know, we're not to have to be a, a sort of a, a slobbery mess. I don't think people want you breaking down on them. But just to say, this is this is my mm. challenge. This is something I'm having to deal with. This is something I'm working on. And just to be hands open rather than kind of fists up looking for the fight. Mm. And, and going, actually, when we do that, it opens up a communication like never before. Because what I find is in these conversations is when you go first, the leader, and it's always important if you're the senior leader, you have to go first in this stuff. When you do it, other people will follow. They will. On your leadership team, they will say, you know what, if you're saying that, can I just say I found this a bit of a challenge or I found this? And it may be a little bit disconcerting to find out your team are full of weaknesses, but it is the reality. And it builds a stronger team. And it means you can really focus your energies on what really counts rather than wasting your energy on having conversations, trying to discover what other people's uh, weaknesses might be. They'll start to reveal them to you because you revealed them to them first. Yeah, and certainly I've found in my experience uh, of both of applying this, but also in, in, in working with other people who are in positions of leadership as well, that actually as you're vulnerable, then an environment of trust actually creates is created with a, mm. a, the team around you. And as people yeah. are, uh, feel that they're trusted and that there is trust, then greater levels of creativity come out people are willing to take bigger risks um because they know that actually if they fail they're going to be picked up and supported rather than rather than kicked and blamed and well well, vulnerability is is like a long word for saying help me it's inviting people in it's saying actually you know can't i can't i can't do this alone i need you and there's nothing there's nothing more wonderful than being wanted by somebody else you know and, and it is that is the flip side to power that says, you know, I don't need you. I'm all powerful without you. Vulnerability says, I, I really need you. Mm. And together we might have a chance. Mm. So if uh, people listening want to find out more information about being vulnerable, where, where should they look? What, what should they search for online? <laughs> you got any great resources around? Well, you've mentioned Brenny Brown. I think she's probably become almost the sort of spokesperson for some of this conversation. I mean, her stuff around the power of her book, The Power of Vulnerability, is probably the, the go-to book on this subject. She's also, if you don't like reading, she's done a 20-minute TED Talk on the same topic, topic. So definitely recommend. And the thing with Brenny Brown is it's not just a conversation. She's researched this to a great level. And her, her outcomes are fascinating. And so it's not just you're getting someone with a, with a thought for the day. This is someone who's really thought it through. Um, 
probably someone else I found really helpful was Craig Rochelle. He, he's a massive church in Oklahoma, uh, Life Church, great church. And uh, he's written a book called uh, Confessions of a Pastor, which is a wonderful book about some reality. You know, here's somebody who leads a very well thought of church, looks amazing from afar. And he tells you some very honest stories about how he how he gets through life and the things he's done. Very vulnerable, very real. And it is just, yeah, very inspiring uh, to those of us who lead normal sized churches. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sim, that's been a fast, fascinating conversation and I, we could go on speaking all day on this yeah. issue of vulnerability I think um, but thank you so much for uh, sharing your heart with us thank you for telling us about some of your experience and uh, thanks for taking the time to come on the podcast today Sim Dendy, thanks so much Thank you Simon Thanks for listening to the Forge Leadership Podcast There's a new episode every week so don't forget to subscribe on the Forge Leadership website at forge-leadership.com.